Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne and I'm joined here by my co-host Connor McCabe and as always we'll be having a look at the weekend news and stories from the week from a left perspective. Um, the Week at Work is part of Left Block, a political education and media project and you can find more information or support us on patreon.com slash leftblock. So Connor, you had a busy evening uh, yesterday. You were in Connolly Books I hear and uh, not just to buy books this time. No, 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 no. It was the it's it's around the ninetieth uh, anniversary of the setting up of the um, of the first kind of permanent um, kind of Marxist kind of bookshop in Ireland. Um, well, well, in the south anyway. So they're having their their nineties, and it was I, I was quite honoured to be asked to say a few words about it, just to speak about just the history of the um, of the of the building. Sorry, of the um, of the shop itself, you know. Uh, so, like I was speaking at it, um, Donald uh, Fallon. He was he was he was speaking as well. Uh, it was some kind of very interesting stuff, and there was some music that you know kind of there as well. So, they put me on after Donald Fallon, which is always a bad move because he's such great value. So I was there going, shit, how do I how do I, how do I follow this? Um, but you have a few stories there as well. So you're looking at housing. Yeah, there was a couple of stories on housing that I was reading in the Business Post and, and climate as well. And both of them were kind of interweaving with each other and contradicting each other and the usual kind of um, display of, yeah, of, of how the government are performing. But I guess the first thing um, some people might be aware of and they might have heard um, Leo Radker uh, during the week say that the housing crisis is acting on a drag uh, um, on overseas investment into Ireland. So sorry that the housing crisis that you created, that you back, like that, you, like you, your party have created, is a drag on your ambitions for more investment. So, like, it's yeah, I just find it so bizarre that he can make comments like that, like as if he wasn't part of the architect of the crisis in the first place. Like, so sorry that your bad decisions and bad planning and your bad economic system and your whatever you want to say is a drag on your ambitions and on performing to foreign investment, like. It's a, well, you know, well, you know, even on that, I mean, PayPal, Dell, and Intel told the government this back in 2014. Mm. Uh, PayPal, there were some stories around 2014, 2015, where the the CEO of PayPal in Dundalk, like, you know, she was saying that um, cannot get room for their staff in in Dundalk. It's absolutely just like, and that was eight years ago, you know, and mm-hmm. um, Intel were saying the same story around, you know, Kildare and, and Anton Leakslip, you know, so these stories haven't kind of coming out, but they set out on a certain plan, a certain kind of, this was the way to, to solve housing. And they have their model, which is, you know, which has been well kind of covered on this kind of podcast, and others, you know, just to bring in kind of multinationals, has blown up in all of our faces. Um, but they're the ones who 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 did it. So yeah, it's been they've been in power now for eleven years, mm. um, and they're still trying to make out that they haven't been. You know, yeah. this is they completely own this. Yeah, they tried to do that arm's length thing of like as if it oh well that brief period where someone else was the head of our coalition that's of the same the part two parties that look mm. the same and basically do the same thing um yeah this whole, whole arm's length thing as if they didn't actually create the whole problem in the first place I don't know how they managed to convince themselves that they are not the architects of this but 
And if they're not listening to investment, like who are they going to listen to? Like, you know, they're saying it's not only housing, that's the problem, but also our water infrastructure and our energy infrastructure. Like, you know, there's a whole, like, how do you fix all of those under this government you don't like? Um, and I, I guess if the likes of Leo or whoever are not going to act on, you know, as you say, like PayPal and all saying this for years, and they're saying it again, and now he's kind of saying, oh, it's a drag, like, oh God. Um, if he's not going to act on behalf of the people he's trying to pander for all like these big investment companies, like it, you know, he's not going to act for the people. It's very clear that he doesn't care about the people, you know, where there was a story as well that I read this morning about, you know, it was the strongest economic growth in the Eurozone from July to September. But like, what does that actually mean for real people and real terms for people, you know, like we there's stories of like people sleeping on the streets in the cold the last couple of nights with snow there's uh people in direct provision in tents whereas ice of the, the tents are frozen um you know people are changing their shopping habits their further groceries because they can't afford it they're not putting on the heating when there's literally snow outside this week um but you know do you think any of those people care about oh, well, we're at the top in economic growth in the last three months. What does that actually mean for those people? Because um, I was at um, the book launch of uh, Rory Hearn yesterday and he made a comment of like how, like there was 1,000 um, children in, uh, who were homeless in 2016 and now we're up at three, three and a half thousand. And like, you know, mm. a, thousand a thousand children being homeless at that time was extremely upsetting and everyone was outcry. And then a couple of years later now, we're looking at nearly four times the amount of that. But like, you know, we're doing well in economic growth. So, you know, what, but again, like, how does that mean? What does that mean for real people? It means absolutely nothing. Well, I mean, like, you know, like, like even, even they're kind of, you know, even they're kind of like walking around kind of Dublin there kind of last night. Um, I, I walked by a, there was a park bench somewhere and it was an actual kind of park bench. And, and it struck me that a place to sit down in Dublin, having a place just to sit down in Dublin is a radical act these days. It's a radical act of kind of architecture to actually have a bench that where people can kind of sit down. This isn't just the, like this housing. It's the way that Dublin is is being sculpted these days, where it's a it's a space for capital extraction and for capital flows. You know, we've covered this on 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 kind of some of the podcasts. But like it's 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 not just like one of the things that that Leo tries to do, I think is, and it's something that Fina Gale do and like Fina Fall do, is that they go, everything else is working fine. We just have this problem with housing. I'm not saying that this is all interconnected. You have a city that hates its citizens, uh, that despises them, that thinks that it that treats its citizens. And it's uh, you know, and it's and it's kind of communities with contempt, where you can't even have, where they have to be dragged to even even provide toilet toilet facilities for one point four million people, you know, and you know, it's even even that is a step too far for them. So, yeah, I am. I've kind of painted myself into a corner here, but basically, fuck Leo. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, sure, it's always good to get one of those in. <laughs> but there was a couple of other stories around the housing and climate that were kind of, as I said, we're kind of like tying into each other. So there was another uh, headline where it says 
blow to government plans as number of new homes built drops as if like the government plan was ever on track or ever going to um um be delivered um but there was some reporting by uh, Killian Woods actually that uh, showed he did analysis of like the number of properties actually being completed on a rolling 12 month basis fell to 27,000 at the end of November this year and it was up at 30,500 this time last year so we're building less than when we were in a more intense period of the pandemic where you know we were blaming the slowdown for everything then like you know you know the pandemic you know slowing things down all of that but it's been in decline since the start of the year and as so as everything is more opened up and you know everything is a lot of things are you know being treated as being back to normal the housing has slowed down but it's because we rely so much on private developers so we only move as fast as delivering um homes as fast as they want to um, so that that is the problem there. We have, don't actually have any control on. So how are the government supposed to say, well, this is our target when they've absolutely no control on those targets being met? Because yeah. they decided that private developers are the ones to deliver on this plan, which doesn't really seem like I feel like if you were doing a risk register, I feel like that would be uh, something they should have flagged. Um, but I see uh, next week now there's a no confidence motion uh, coming up for Minister Darrow Bryn um, from uh paul murphy and people for profit so look there's, it's been, i don't know how any anyone can vote for confidence in the continued stories that we cover on this podcast week on week um around housing but it's interesting now because i uh, and the ersi is coming out saying well you know we can't we're probably gonna uh, impact on our housing supply because of our climate commitment and I was like, well, this is interesting. We're not del delivering on the housing plan that we have. Um, our climate housing supply is going to be impacted by climate commitments. Um, but on the other page, then it says the state has privately admitted that it's not feasible to cut uh, to re reach their climate targets that they signed up to. Now, obviously, I'm not making it's not comparable for like flight, but we're talking about the agricultural um, sector where they're talking about cutting methane, for example, by 30 percent. But the government are signing up to these pledges and, uh, you know, all of these charters saying we're going to reduce um, this, that and the other where they have in writing that they know damn well they're not going to even attempt to reach that. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that the message is it's not feasible and we can't do it. It's like they're giving up anyway. Whereas like I, I read um, online, Professor um, Hannah Daly um, was like, it is feasible. If you redirected all the farming subsidies to like less polluting activities, such as like growing trees, crops, like rewetting, rewilding and actually doing that just transition piece and compensating farmers for like any loss of income then you would reach those targets. But as we know, you know, it, it, it that's not what the, the aim is here. And like, you wonder how you can just sign, like the government can just sign up to these pledges and documents, like international, um, you know, pieces and just accept that they're never going to meet them. Like that, that surely is an act of like, I don't know, fraud or something like they're trying to trick us into believing that they, are going to deliver on this and like telling other countries that they're going to deliver on this and they never plan to deliver it and we're not they're not being held accountable for it really yeah i mean like like the the point that you raised there i mean um it's agriculture and it's energy and it's transport that are the three main kind of drags so 
one starts like what they're doing is um as you said there it's um in order be, you know because they're not tackling like agriculture or kind of data centers they, they have to make cuts kind of somewhere else and where they're making those cuts is the esri or sorry is in kind of housing um like like Sinn Féin came out there last week against rewetting and rewilding as well. They were very, very strong on that. So, like this is this is kind of McCarthy, uh, McCarthy and and Mary Lou McDonald were at a meeting with uh, farmers groups, and McCarthy was very, very clear, saying that um, there'd be no kind of rewilding and there'd be no kind of rewetting under a uh, Sinn Féin government. Yeah, and I think that's really worrying because, like, if people are looking for an alternative, um, you know, in the next general election, and they're looking, a lot of people be looking towards Sinn Féin, I guess, like, slippages like that are really worrying because that's not a change from where we are now. No, no, and uh, and also, like, um, some people might say that it's Sinn Féin being smart and they're trying to play kind of all angles. You can't play all angles when you have quotas for fucking climate action if you don't tackle agriculture housing's going to pay for that transport's going to pay for that somebody has to pay and what mark Carty has said is that it won't be farmers everyone else can go fuck themselves and that's what he has said you know no rewilding and no can rewetting uh he said that he hopes that there are no green tds kind of elected and I don't think he means in terms of the seats, he means in terms of no one to push the whole kind of agenda. You've got a climate kind of denier who's the main opposition agriculture kind of spokesperson. That's an issue. That's a problem. And um, like, it's not going to cost them any votes because everyone just sees kind of Sinn Féin and, and like on their brain now, you know? So, and they know that. So they're being, that's how cynical this whole is, but anyone expecting any kind of change in, in terms of, of this kind of policy, like McCarthy has made it clear, there will be no change. And Mary Lou sitting right beside him, nodding her head saying, yes, 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 you know? So, I mean, if we do not tackle the obscene levels of climate gas kind of emissions that are coming from, from agriculture, those cuts have to happen somewhere else. And, and if you don't tackle the data centers that are being built, those ones, those cuts ha um, have to come from somewhere else. And also last week, you had our current minister for the environment saying that, that, that not only are they going to reopen a money point in Clare, but that it's going to be a coal, is it coal or oil powered? It's one or the other, uh, coal powered, I think, or maybe no, it's 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 oil powered now. This this ties into the plan for for Clare. They they want to build kind of data centers in Clare. Those kind of data centers need a power station because they consume so much energy. They need a dedicated power station. And Eamon Ryan has made it clear that he's going to give them kind of money point for that, burning fossil fuels, which is going to raise emissions which means that cuts have to happen and they won't happen with kind of farmers because Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are all on the same page um, don't touch farmers don't touch cows yeah it's like fuck them I mean like you know like like I mean like it's just it's so cynical 
from Sinn Féin uh, to do this because because they know that it won't cost them any votes because no one's going to pick up on this. But we can see this as an issue in 24 months' time. Yeah, when they are in power. We never saw it. We never saw us all. Yeah, no, exactly. And then they've got kind of contradictions that are that are going on there. That's where you happen. That's what happens when you have um, populist kind of politics. You know, I mean, what's the difference here? A wick, a wick, a wick kind of Boris Johnson promising the Earth, Moon, and Stars just vote for for Brexit. Like if you know, like what Sinn Fein saying here? You know, are they going to tackle kind of climate action? Uh, tackle kind of um, cattle kind of emissions and build housing one has to give yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out as well which i'm we'll probably see in the next couple of years but like you know there is more of this like these kind of slippages showing like we've seen like the movement on position for the um special criminal court we're seeing matt carthy now absolutely uh, saying they're not going to be rewilding like very yeah, openly this, like so yeah I mean you know this and it's pure climate kind of denialism this yeah. is pure climate kind of denialism there's no other word for it or 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 phrase for it mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's a pity when you see other members of the party being quite strong um on the cli- climate um issues like um like Lynn Boyland would come out a good bit um with some good positions but yeah it's just interesting um to see like that why the party isn't maybe trying to rein that in a little bit, or maybe yeah. that's just the party position. Maybe it is, that's what it is. Once we must have a look, pull out the policy documents that they have on um, climate and go through it someday. Yeah, well, like the difference there is that Lynn Boylan may be a minister in the new government. We can say with 100% kind of certainty that if there is a, a Sinn Féin government, there are there are two positions that are absolutely locked down. One is Pierce Doherty for finance and it's McCarthy for fucking agriculture. That is locked down. That is, there's nothing else happening. So that's the difference with McCarthy saying it and then Boylan, who's still a senator, has to win a mm-hmm. seat still, you yeah. know? Um, that's the difference. That, that McCarthy, he's a very senior member of the party. Um, he's the agriculture kind of spokesperson. He will be in any kind of Sinn Féin-led government, he will be the agriculture kind of minister. So that's the difference because he's the one who will be setting policy. He won't be Lynn Boylan. Um, so is there any other stories that you were covering? Um, big today? one, yeah. Like I bought the, the Indo today, which was a new one as well, just the bike and the Irish newspapers. And you just realised just how terrible Irish journalism is. Like it really is terrible. Like it's just, it's shit, you know? Um. But there was one story from Sean Doug Maloney. He was talking about the um, the Bundestag coup suspects who had who had visited here, and this was a meeting with that Herman Kelly of um, of the Irish Freedom Party met with Bridget uh, Maslach a Winkleman. Um, he was one of the coup leaders, um, attempted coup leaders. He was arrested. Uh, last week and the indo via kind of shannon but maloney is really trying to play this down he writes this article where he says that um irish freedom party leader herman kelly has distanced himself from the detainee despite 
welcoming her to Ireland two years ago, quote, we are the sane and sensible nationalist option which rejects any form of, of Nazism and nuttery, he said. We wait to see if any allegations regarding Ms. Malsack Winkerman are borne out by evidence. The wait and see to see if they're true is not a rejection of the person. This is the same fucking paragraph. So even in the paragraph, they are they are kind of they're they're contradicting themselves. He then goes on to say that German that that Germany has had a long obsession with Ireland, and then he mentions various kind of Nazis who who ended up here. Um, and makes that link. He makes a link with Nazis in the past. It doesn't really kind of dwell on the fact that there are Nazis in Ireland who are meeting with Nazis in Germany, and are meeting with you know you know with Nazis in Ukraine and in in Latvia and in France and in Spain. They're all talking to each other, and they all have a plan. That's the story here. It's not that Herman Kelly was just walking by and bumped into some German tourists who were trying to find a local bar like you know mm-hmm. like he had invited them over they were they were speaking that kind of events for him this is part of the whole kind of plan um that's the thing herman kelly is a supportive of the reprehensible kind of protests that are going on in kind of east wall um the, the Irish Freedom party is straight in there it's part mm-hmm. of all of this i mean you know in the story hate yeah i mean you know, it, 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 like in the story, in the article, you know, you know, he writes about these kind of links, which isn't about links. He talks about the um, the Sean Russell uh, statue and mentions how kind of Mary Lou spoke at the, you know, spoke at, spoke at an event for Sean Russell 20, uh, 20 years ago in like 2003. So, like, Mary Lou is not a Nazi. You know what I mean? Like this is just this is disgusting. What they're actually done here. They instead of making they rather paint that picture than actually delve into the Herman Kelly connection more. They actually and, say, and like even for they actually make excuses for Herman Kelly and say that Herman Kelly has distanced himself from these Nazis. However, Mary Lou spoke at an event to like Sean Russell, who was former chief of staff of the IRA. Um, like you have an actual Nazi in Ireland. He's meeting actual Nazis in Germany. That's the story. It's not, but they still bring in kind of Mary Lou and they still bring in kind of, oh, it's Sinn Féin and, you know, can you really kind of trust them? You can't trust them on the climate action. I think you can trust them on being (laughs) anti-Nazi. You know, if there's an anti-Nazi party out there, it's fucking Sinn Féin, you know? And, um, and like, wherever, you know, but climate action, they're not, they're not Nazi fucking, like, this is just disgusting. It is literally, it's absolutely disgusting. They have an actual Nazi party in Ireland, the Irish Country Freedom Party, an actual Nazi leader of an actual Nazi party meeting actual fucking Nazis who are from Germany. And they just brush it aside and say, oh it's- yeah, Mary Lou over there, you know, spoke, spoke, down the, spoke uh, you know, a Sinn Féin leader spoke at an IRA kind of event 19 years ago. What the fuck is that we here, lads? It's really bringing that whole, oh, but Sinn Féin uh, move that they've been doing to like every story to a new mm. level. That's incredible. Who's the journalist in that piece? Uh, his name is Sean Maloney. I don't know who the hell he is. 
Um, but that was the type, I mean, this is the type of stuff that you're really having to kind of deal with here. Reading these guys, you just go wherever, what fucking planet are they on? They have an actual fucking Nazi meeting Nazis. And he go, pardon me. And he go, oh, but Mary Lou. Yeah. Stood, stood at a statue 19 years ago. Go and ask my fucking. Um, I was also having a look um, as well. I saw online now. I doubt any paper is probably going to cover it, which is why I think we should cover it. Um, but the mandate workers uh, in Dunn's, um, the mandate members in Dunn's stores were... Um, I saw online on their on their campaign page that the their national committee was out um, in the next part of their campaign on their pay claim, and we've obviously covered that in quite detail in this podcast. We actually have a podcast um, that we recorded live in UCC with the, with Shop Stewart. If anyone wants to listen back to it um, for the full details of what that pay claim entails, but essentially it's for decent paying conditions is the the line that they're using. But they delivered um, their petition of 2000 signatures and they're all from workers uh, in Duns and uh, they had a big cut out cracker you know all I want for Christmas is decent paying conditions and like I love that literally every campaign uses that at one point <laughs> you know it's a good good moment to, to play on the, the Christmas piece the Christmas theme of the campaign um, but yeah essentially there's seven key asks in it um, you know and they range from you know, pay, annual leave, um, discount cards, sick pay, scheduling, and, you know, representation in the union and everything. Um, so there's a good bit in it. Um, and I guess um, an example of um, the difference it would make to one worker, which I saw was 15% uh, pay, for example, if they Whoa. when they're going into their third year of working there, which is a big difference. Um, but at the very least, it will be at the, at the minimum um, a 7.7 pay increase for all of the workers. So I just find it like, you now it's great to see this um, progressing and they're, they're keeping the pressure on a, a company now. I can't find their exact profits in the, in, um, in the Republic, but in the North, they released their profit figures and they have like, you know, over 7 million um, in profit just in the branches in the North. So mm. I can't imagine what the, the rest of the profit is, but it's not something yeah, that I could they, find online. They, they... They don't have to downsell because yeah. it's a private it's a private company mm. still so it's not it's not a plc it's, it's still yeah. a family business so they, they don't release any of their figures yeah you know, well you could just scale it up on that basis i guess because it is actually the, the most popular grocery store in ireland so on that basis mm. um and like obviously all of the prices and stuff have gone up um and there was a request from one of the shop stewards actually to um to call into the managers in the branches like to give the here's the phone number of the branch ring them up and ask them as a customer um why they're not dealing with pay claim um so as an act of solidarity which i would encourage other people to do as well if you're uh, a Dunn's customer particularly is to phone up your local branch um but the branch that i rang actually had a very interesting um interaction with the manager um so I kind of, you know, had a chat. It was very polite, of course. You know, you're just wondering why you're not dealing with the collective grievance that your the members of your store have launched. And there was a, like there was scores of people who'd signed this um, pay claim in in that brand or in that store. And uh, oh, I got a very interesting reaction. So he basically went on to be like, oh, um, that's that's not that's not uh, you know that's not I don't know what you're talking about kind of thing. But also. Uh, Oh, well, now I do know what you're talking about. And, you know, we don't actually, uh, Duns don't deal with, you know, claims like that. 
And I was like, what do you mean? And he was saying, you know, oh, essentially, if any complaints, we deal with them on a one-to-one basis. And I was like, yeah, but this is a load of individuals who've come together with the same complaint, if you want to call it that. So why would you not deal with it collectively? No, no, that's a Dunstore's policy. Dunstore's policy is not to deal with collective um, complaints. So I had it in, like, in word for word that Dunstore's do not deal with collective complaints. But then he went on to basically say, oh, well, it's uh, basically one rogue person in there uh, who's lo- who's leading this. And I said, well, there's, I know for a fact there's like at least 20, like around 20 signatures on that pay claim in that particular store. Um, and then he went on to say, oh, that's fake news. <laughs> and like, bear in mind, like, I- I'm a customer calling in and he has the gall to be like, oh, well, we don't deal with them and fake news and all of this. And like, after a couple of more people, I found out after a couple more people called in, he just got progressively more annoyed and like started saying like, you know, that there's there's a communist in the store and, you know, that that's the only problem that's here and all of that. So um, like, I think if if everyone was to put the pressure on, you know, act of solidarity this Christmas um, and wants to call the local Dunn's branch um, or Dunn's store and ask for the manager and ask them about the, the, the pay agreement, um, I think uh, Dunn's store's workers would be greatly appreciated. And that's why I'm amplifying it here as well, because I guess with the petition delivery, um, it's another uh, that they've done this week. It's another active pressure, public pressure. And we know in the past that Duns have actually bowed to public pressure. Um, but again, if we can get the managers telling their higher ups that there's people calling into their store on the phone or in person or whatever you want to do, um, I think that could add a lot of pressure too. But yeah, I just want to, to mark that because I think it's a very good campaign um, and they've been very strong in it. But we know damn well that the mainstream media are probably not going to cover um, any part of that campaign. So I do want to give it a piece here. Have you been reading anything else, Connor, that you want to um, chat about today? Well, um I might go back to to um, but Conley books, you know, just for the end of the show. Um, like as we said, you know, there was an event there kind of last night, and uh, they were celebrating kind of like ninety years of a communist kind of bookshop in one form, stuck like on another in in Dublin, which is quite the event. And um, they'd asked me just to kind of speak at it, and you know, kind of you know, kind of do a, you know do a kind of overview of the you know of the bookshop you know itself um but the first speaker was donald fallon and uh, you know donald gave uh, donald gave a great kind of overview of the time in the 1930s it, the, the 1930s gets overlooked an awful lot in irish history as some kind of um kind of bland kind of dead time and it, like from a in terms of the Communist Party, like in terms of kind of Marxist kind of ideas and and Ireland, I find it a fascinating time. There was some really interesting work that was being kind of produced, and uh, it's almost all of it is coming from the like communists who are associated with the, you know, with that bookshop, you know. Um, so I find it kind of interesting, and um, I did tape last night. I asked Donald if he could use just a small clip of him kind of speaking. So as a kind of, you know, as a kind of overview, this this sort of stuff he was saying in terms of of the atmosphere at the time. The atmosphere of anti-communism was deep enough that in 1932, the Revolutionary Workers Group, forerunner of the Communist Party of Ireland, reported to the Comintern in Moscow that they had an active membership of 88 activists in Dublin, nine of whom, they said, were members of the IRA. More interestingly, two of whom were members of Fianna Fáil. 
Yet by then, the Revolutionary Workers' Group had endured much repression, orchestrated scare tactics, denunciation from pulpit on high. Where did the Revolutionary Workers' Groups of the 1930s come from? Well, I suppose that's entangled in the bigger picture of what was happening in Irish Labour, in Irish Republicanism. I think the emergence of Fianna Fáil, you know, a party that took with it a lot of young, enthusiastic people from the ranks of the IRA, created a crisis ideologically uh, within revolutionary politics. And I think many, especially those within the IRA, were arguing for the need to create something new and exciting. There was also tension, as there always was, I suppose, uh, between Moscow and Jim Larkin Sr., and questions over where the leadership of any communist movement in Ireland might come from. And of the early nucleus of the forerunner of the Communist Party, Tom Bell, a leading British communist, would write, the ideology of the workers in Dublin is hard to explain. Only a few of them so far have a conception of communist theory and practice. The great majority of them are former soldiers of the IRA, and I suspect many of them are still members of that organisation. But in the 1930s, I suppose it wasn't just a question of meeting up in a room and talking about politics. Even doing that could be a very dangerous thing. The risk of physical confrontation was high. The St. Patrick's Anti-Communist League, what a name that is. You know, uh, one speaker, I love this line in a, in a Garda report, in the St. Patrick's Anti-Communist League. There are 600 communists in Dublin, he told the crowd, all of whom are pledged to obey the Third International and receive their orders from Moscow. The objects of Soviet rule is to destroy the Catholic religion, and to combat this, our Holy Father, the Pope, has advised Catholic action. Now, if there were 600 communists in the city, it would certainly have been welcome news to the communist movement. In March 1933 came the extraordinary uh, attack on Connolly House, in which the St. Patrick's Anti-Communist League played a very central role. The hostility to communism in this city was so great that just a few months on from the attack on Connolly House, the Communist Party of Ireland met at Leinster Street in a room that they rented under the name the Dublin Total Abstinence Association, with a card on the door saying, temperance meeting in progress. <laughs> if you went into a shop like this in the 1930s, you did so at considerable risk, you know, in a city where even commemorating your dead could be a real challenge. And ironically, you know, those who often put in the windows of shops like this in the 1930s said that they were doing it in the interest of Catholic action and their Catholic faith. So what Donald, he was talking about there was, you know, like, there was a line that I'd, I'd come across as well. Um, the commentary on kind of papers um, are available on uh, via kind of Queen's, uh, Queen's University. You need to register, but it's, but it's free access uh, to everyone. And the commentary on papers, uh, they're the papers in the Moscow archive of the, of the communist parties. Uh, kind of worldwide and about, about 20 years ago um 30 years ago 20, 25 years ago um emma o'connor and barry o'loughlin uh two uh, two historians got they got into the archive and they copied it five thousand pages of it so it's this wonderful rich kind of archive in in terms of it but they talked about in it that um by 1937 there was a lot of the Irish communists, you know, who we know, who were going over to Spain to fight in the Spanish Civil War. And one of them said um, they were doing it because it was probably easier to fight for communism in Spain in 1937 than to fight it in Dublin in 1937. And as an example, uh, Eugene Campbell-Carton, uh, 
He was the outgoing uh, a, a general consecretary of the Communist Party. He spoke last night as well, and he gave kind of one example of that. And it was one person in, you know, who had gotten into a fight with the animal gangs, who were the fascists who were trying to beat the um, Marxists off the uh, street. And then this is, uh, this is, this is Eugene now. So some of the people you see up there, that old man up there, is Jeffrey Palmer. Jeffrey Palmer, one of the founders of this bookshop. <coughs> and uh, Jeff was, uh, whenever I got to know him, um, he was deaf, very bad hearing. And uh, the reasons why Jeff was deaf, because they were involved in the demonstrations at downwards now, Middle Abbey Street and the Connell Street, the old Irish press office used to be there. And used to hold demonstrations there on a Saturday, and used to hold the Bay Day demonstrations, and they come under attack from the animal gangs, and they get beaten, badly beaten with bicycle chains. So there's people here, you see done the history of the bookshop up under. Luke Kelly was also associated with the bookshop. Um, <coughs> Brendan Bain, just the fun, I'll finish up with a funny story. Uh, Connor mentioned Brendan, Brendan Bain uh, in Pier Street. Uh, Brendan um, was always short of shillings and was always looking for presenting his fee for a pint in the days. And he turned up one day, he said to Johnny Nolan, I'll paint the front of the shop. So why didn't you pay me? Johnny says, no bother, no bother. So Brendan was out the front, starting to paint the shop. Come around lunchtime, Brendan spots the Dublin Corporation rent collector coming down the street. And Brendan thought, here's my chance now. Goes and bagels a man in for a pint. One pint led to another. He ended up going down to the docks. There's a police coal boat in. And Brendan and Bagel himself, on, both of them onto the police coal boat, talking about politics and communism and everything else. He ended up going to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> and a week later, Brendan Bain turned up the road, walked to the door and says, Johnny, I'm here to finish the job. <laughs> Yeah. So and then, like, it wanted. To, and then I was speaking out then as well. And sure. And and one of the things I was talking about was, um, in the nineteen thirties, there was a, there was um, there was an anti-communist, anti-Semitic, and uh, totally fascist uh, priest called uh, Dennis Fahey. He was a Holy Ghost kind of priest, and um, he wrote a pamphlet on James Connolly in in the nineteen thirties, where he says in it, it's 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 trying to be kind of sympathetic. But towards James Connolly, and near the end of it, he says, um, "If James Connolly, if he was alive today, he would renounce all of his Marxist kind of writings and renounce all of his kind of Marxist kind of things because he would know that it was wrong." And my point kind of last night was that not even the dead were allowed to be Marxist in Ireland in the 1930s. So no matter about the like living. Not even the dead could be Marxist in, in Ireland in the 1930s. Now, there are, there are a few today who still maintain that Connolly, you know, it was not Marxist because it's inconvenient for them to, to have him as, as such. But that was, the, that was the atmosphere that they were trying to, uh, to deal with. And I think from the 1970s onwards, like in the 1980s, that's when I started calling into the bookshop and uh, like for me it was it was brilliant because like that was part of my own kind of education um, I remember once kind of picking up the state and revolution 
in there, this Lennon's book, and I, I was working as a as a night porter in Bewley's at the time. So at night, it, like once I've kind of cleaned up, I just wait until the morning just to kind of light the fires. And that's when Bewley's had kind of open fires in them. And uh, I'd read kind of Lennon at night <laughs> on like West Morland Street. There'd be fights outside and I'd be inside kind of reading kind of Lennon's state and, and kind of revolution. I'm not really kind of, I'm not really kind of getting it because I, I was still a teenager, but like, um, but that was my kind of education and, and that was part of it. And that wouldn't have been there if it were not for kind of Connolly books. And I think it still plays somewhat kind of that role today because like even today, it's hard to find a bookshop that you walk into and will have Marx, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, um, trans, trans writers, uh, LGBTQ plus writers, um, you know, all in the one space. Books, books, books upstairs play somewhat kind of that role, but really in terms of kind of a dedicated kind of Marxist kind of, you know, kind of, you know, kind of output, there is still kind of colony books. So it's, it's almost like we've come kind of full circle. It's back to the 1930s again. That you know that this is the it's the only one that's that's that kind of standing um and just finally that you know it it does open itself up to other groups for for meetings because meeting space is is is, is kind of such a like premium so no i mean i was i was chuffed to be asked to like speak at it and um yeah it was good i think that's us um, that's so us wrap it up um thanks for all of that connor um this has been the week at work um, and if you're listening, give us a share. Um, we recently got our Spotify wrapped figures. Turns out we're in the top 10 most followed podcasts. So, you know, we'll strive for even higher next year, but I don't know how we'll beat that. Um, but we, we do know that use our share in it. So that makes obviously a big difference. And we know our listenership is quite high now, um, higher than we expected. So that's, that's great. And it means that, you know, uh, keeps us coming back every week to, to fill you in on the news. It's no matter how depressing it is um, but I guess this has been the week at work um, uh, follow us online give us a share and support us on patreon.com slash let's block and I'll see you next week <laughs>